that for a slice of fried gold? Hey, hey, welcome to the podcast where we take a quick swig of medicine from the limitless depths of pop fiction, literary fiction, visual art, music, movies, poetry, any artistic creation, and we feel all the better for it. My name is Nate Hammond. You are listening to Tonic Pop. All right, I'm excited because today we're talking about one of my favorite, if not my favorite, romantic comedies, Shaun of the Dead. I could uh, subtitle this, How to Become a Romantic Lead in Your Own Life as Shown by the Unlikeliest of Romantic Leads. I think the Brits do everyday man romantic leads quite well, such as the case with Simon Pegg, who plays the protagonist, Sean. And you might be forgiven for thinking that this is purely a zombie flick. That is, if you haven't actually seen the movie, if you think it's, or if you've only just seen the posters or the VHS covers, because yes, it did come out that long ago. Although VHS was in decline at the time in 2004, uh, they were still around. You might have seen the DVD cover, what have you. But it is it is more than that. It's, it is so well written. Um, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, of course, they're going to be spoilers. If I pump it up too much, um, inevitably you're going to go out and you're going to be disappointed. So consider that it sucks and then go and watch it. All right. It was directed by Edgar Wright. It was written by Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Simon Pegg plays Sean. The protagonist, as I said before. Now, Simon and Edgar, they work together on UK um, TV cult favorite, Spaced. And this is actually drawn from one of the episodes of Spaced. Uh, Something cool about Shaun of the Dead, something else that's cool about Shaun of the Dead, is a foundation that is laid by the actors, by the ensemble. And it is drawn from the alumni of different cult favorites like The Office and Black Books. In fact, Uh, Dylan Moran from Black Books plays an antagonist to Simon Pegg, um, to Sean. It was made with a budget of four to six million and it grossed cumulatively 30 million, over 30 million. Half of that was made, almost half of that was made in the US, which is pretty cool. That meant that the UK humor, you know, translated well. The summary, Sean is dumped by Liz his girlfriend, because he is a bit of a slacker. He lacks motivation. He doesn't put a lot of effort into their relationship. Sean decides to reform. He wants to win her back. His plans, however, they are thwarted by... No, that's the wrong word. They're not thwarted, and actually they're enabled, if anything, but they're interrupted by a zombie apocalypse. So uh, he, Sean, and his even more deadbeat friend, Ed, they embark on a journey a daring adventure to rescue Sean's mum, to rescue his stepdad, to rescue Liz, and to rescue Liz's flatmates, and take them to the safety of the local pub, the Winchester. Take on, go to mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Now this has all the hallmarks of satire, irony, commentary on current social issues, But is it romantic comedy satire? Is it action film satire? Is it horror satire? Buddy buddy film satire? It plays with a bunch of the usual tropes found in these genres. And it really is a multi-genre weave. But it is essentially a romantic comedy wrapped up in a zombie film. And in fact, the portmanteau romzomcom was coined to describe it. The zombies are representing the challenges that are often faced in a relationship story. Shaun of the Dead is like a video game where the hero character must battle through different levels to win, in this case, win back the heart of his love, Liz. Edgar Wright used a similar gameplay concept in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. 
What are some lessons that we can draw from Sean's character arc? What led him back to being with his love? The crux of what I want to focus on today is the influence of toxic friendships. Note that I said friendships, not friends. I think friends can be toxic depending on the relationship that you have with them. Ed, played by Nick Frost, is Sean's bestie. The writers establish their relationship and backstory quite early and show how their relationship affects other relationships. So what began as a triangle, at least in our mind, with Sean, Liz and Ed, at its points has turned into something much more complicated. We see it as more of a Gordian knot, which never quite becomes untangled, but becomes more manageable and balanced as we'll see later in the story. In remaining tight with Ed, Sean seemed to be clinging to his childhood and the avoidance of responsibilities that come with maturity. Now, as horrible as it was, the zombie outbreak provided a coerced opportunity for Sean to step up and take on a hero's obligation. And not only for Sean, but it also uh, put Ed in a position where he had to step up as a bestie. You know, he had to perform his duty of care as a best mate. So let's consider what some of the third wheels are in our own lives that may disrupt, interrupt, um, wreck even our relationships that we should be more focused on, that we should be giving more time and energy to. Because it's not just flesh and blood that um, can create these issues. For example, perfectionism. Another example might be work and work stresses that we bring home and we bring them into our beds. Uh, We bring them to the dinner table. And one that I want to talk a little bit more about today, because we are all guilty of being on the wrong side of this, of at times letting a digital third wheel into a relationship. And we've also been victims to it. So we've seen both sides and we've been affected by both sides. An unhealthy relationship with a virtual third wheel leads to phone snubbing or fubbing. Now we can list thousands of advantages to the tech in our hands, but do we seriously consider the downsides, particularly the effect on our interpersonal relationships? And just as Sean could be in the same space as Liz, but not be truly present, do we find ourselves sharing space with someone because, but because of a device in our hands, we are detached from the moment? It used to be that the big three disputes for couples were sex, money, and kids, but now smartphones are joining that club. In a study from Bailey University, researchers surveyed 453 adults to find out the real effects of fubbing. Fubbing, as defined in the study, was the extent to which people use or are distracted by their cell phones while in the company of their relationship partners. It was found that those who were fubbed by their partners felt conflict that led to lower relationship satisfaction. These lower levels of relationship satisfaction in turn led to lower levels of life satisfaction and ultimately higher levels of depression, explained one of the study's authors, Dr. James Roberts. Another study from Brigham Young University examined the same issue and the researchers concluded that fubbing, or what the researchers in this study coined technoference, but I prefer fubbing, can be damaging not just to a relationship, but to a person's psychological health as well. Overall, participants who rated more technoference in their relationships also reported more conflict over the use of tech, particularly smartphones and consequent lower relationship satisfaction, more depressive symptoms and lower overall life satisfaction. By allowing technology to interfere with or interrupt conversations, 
activities, and time with romantic partners, the study found, even when unintentional or for brief moments, individuals may be sending implicit messages about what they value most, leading to conflict and negative outcomes in personal life and relationships. So, while it's probably no surprise to anybody but the most dense among us, that technology can be a catalyst for annoyance and conflict. What this study is showing is that a person's engagement with technology can actually send their partner into depression. Another study done on young adult relationships, which was published in the journal Psychology of Popular Media Culture, showed a significant link between higher levels of dependency on smartphones and higher levels of relationship uncertainty. Not only that, but participants who observed that their partners seemed highly dependent on their smartphone were significantly less satisfied in their relationships than those that didn't note dependency. So why? What is it about smartphones? Well, because often it feels that you are having an emotional affair right there in front of the very person that you are supposed to be truly engaged with. The mentioned studies and many more that have been conducted conclude that fubbing feels like rejection. And maybe it feels like that because that is what it is, and it hurts. Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix said it well when he said, Indifference and neglect often do much more damage than outright dislike. When you are mid-conversation, mid-meal, enjoying a show together, having any romantic moment, and your virtual third wheel interrupts, and you give it your attention, what is that saying to the other person in the room? My phone is more important than you are right now. When your child is trying to talk to you, when they're trying to tell you about their day, when they're asking you a question, when they're asking for your help, and you give your attention to the phone, what is that saying to the child? My phone is more important than you right now. We create a rubbish mountain of repeated rejections. Many are just mini rejections, but they add to the pile that eventually consumes the home. And under the weight of that mountain, peace and joy are crushed to death. Here are eight questions that we could ask ourselves that determine whether a phone has become a negative third wheel. One, is my phone causing emotional infidelity? Two, do I unwittingly or unthinkingly ignore my partner or children when I'm gazing at my phone? Three, is it so noticeable and blatant that people are commenting on my human to phone relationship? Four, am I easily distracted by it and see no problem scrolling through social media, etc. while I'm mid-conversation with someone or supposed to be focused on something else? Five, do I get defensive and fail to apologize if I'm pulled up on it? Six, if my phone isn't nearby, do I find myself easily bored and craving time with it? Seven, do I get separation anxiety? And eight, do I seek refuge in my phone? Sean was able to win back Liz and still hold on to a friendship with Ed, but... Spoiler alert, he had to keep Ed chained up in his shed. Drastic, but Ed's heroism left him undead and actually enjoying his existence playing video games with his mate Sean checking in on him from time to time. To truly find balance, there are a few things we can do. We can have tech-free times and tech-free places in the home. We can get more intimate. You need a dopamine hit? Get one from a physical embrace instead of notifications. We can change settings to avoid hearing constant alerts. We can be conscious and show it. We can show that we are setting our phone down. We can show ourselves walking away from it. We can show that we are detaching from the phone and then we are attaching to the person in front of us. During the closing scene, Sean spoke with Liz about going to visit Ed in the shed. He didn't just disappear. Now, all of the studies that we referenced earlier 
have shown that it is not smartphone use in general that affects relational health. There is no need to swap out the smartphone for smoke signals, but what the studies show is that it is a psychological reliance on these devices and the show of needing to be incessantly connected with a smartphone that can be hazardous to relationships. Sean still made time for his friend, but he had to wisely use restraint and create space that didn't encroach upon his time with Liz. Just as he was able to focus on his relationship with Liz without completely severing his ties to Ed, we can care for flesh and bones relationships without throwing our devices in the river. We just need to be smarter than the phones in our hands. We'll finish with a quote by 19th century poet James Lennon. Oh, it is deplorable to behold neglect aiding in the triumph of decay. Let's not let our relationships with our devices lead to the neglect of those that matter most and the decay of our relationships with them. Thank you for listening. My name is Nate Hammond. This has been Tonic Pop. Catch you next time.